to a special episode of SNMA Presents The Lounge. My name is student Dr. Isabella, and today we are here to talk about the structural inequities and injustices that gave rise to COVID inequities and how they impacted the Pacific Islander community of Washington with our special guests, Dr. Raj Sundar and Joseph Sia. Dr. Raj, Dr. Raj Sundar is a family physician and community organizer in Burien, Washington. He was born in Chennai, India, and lived in both South Carolina and North Carolina before moving to the West Coast, where he lives with his wife and cat. Dr. Sundar earned his medical degree from the University of North Carolina School of Medicine and completed a residency in family medicine at Kaiser Permanent of Washington. He is fluent in Tamil and Spanish and is happy to speak the language with his patients. Dr. Sundar is the host and creator of the Healthcare for Humans podcast. He created this project to become a better healer to the many different communities of Washington and addresses the history and culture of Washington's diverse communities so clinicians can be better equipped with the proper knowledge to care for all patients, no matter who they are. And our next guest, Joseph Sia, is the founder of the Pacific Islander Community Association of Washington. Mr. Sia was born in Los Angeles, grew up on Tutulia and Upulu Islands, and eventually emigrated to Duwamish slash Coast Salish Territory with his father and his siblings in 1994. He has 15 years of experience in direct service and youth development work, anti-racist community organizing, nonprofit leadership, and administration. Joseph Sia is committed to reducing and ending the impacts of systemic, systemic racism on the lives of indigenous, black, and brown communities through coalition building, censoring anti-racism, creating intergenerational leadership opportunities, and working with BIPOC communities to co-design our vision of beloved community. Thank you both for being here with us today. Can you tell us more about your journey to your current positions and what made you guys decide to devote part of your professional lives to advancing health equity? I'll let the doctor go first. <laughs> I know. Where should I start? So I I got to start probably where I grew up, which was in Tamil Nadu, Isabel. I think you mentioned that, which mm-hmm. is uh, in the southern part of India. And when people think of India, I think they always think of North India. And I'm a proud mm-hmm. South Indian. And uh, oh. I, my grandparents are actually from a little village in the uh, Tamil Nadu called Tamarankote. There's like a few thousand people there. But my story starts there because they grew up in poverty where they went to bed hungry, right? And my grandfather, this like four foot, eight inch man, decided we're going to get out of this. And how we're going to do it is we're going to make every single member of our family doctors. So he made my dad and everybody in our family get up at 5 a.m. and study nonstop. And they ended up becoming doctors. So when I was growing up, really, they would ask me, what kind of doctor did you want to be? And I thought that was a normal question for a kid growing up, trying to figure out what my future is like. But honestly, like after I came to America and joined my parents, I was in a life of privilege, right? Like I wasn't really connected to the village in the way my parents and my grandparents were, where they were really worried about losing any sense of social support. So they really felt like they had to do what it took to take care of themselves. And I and I fell into the story, but I thought I could be so much more. And I wanted to figure out what it actually meant to be a healer and really care for the communities around me. Mm-hmm. And what does it really mean to fight for justice in, uh, in healthcare and through a health perspective? So that was part of my journey that led to many projects that I'm involved in. And the podcast you mentioned, you know, it started out just for Washington State, but it's become relevant for, I feel like, all clinicians. Because the more I talk to people, they were in the same place I was. Because you think about how to care for d- 
diverse communities, right? Wherever their background, immigrant, native, indigenous, and all you got in medical school, I can't, I can't speak for you, Isabella. Maybe you're, you're learning a lot more robust things than I did in medical school, but mine was like a basic module. And then every other thing on the internet is also very basic and kind of stereotypical, right? Like the cultural competency idea. You try to Google like Pacific Islanders. We'll talk about this, right? They kind of list a bunch of things, maybe the values they hold. This is how they say hello. And the whole idea of cultural competency is like othering where I'm the standard, the normal person, and let's like study these other people. They put people into stereotypes and it's somehow an idea of like a checkbox, like, oh, I learned everything about them. So now I can care for them when it's so much more complex than that. And that's what led me to really reach out to community leaders and ask them, what does it mean to care for you and try to amplify Mm -hmm. their voices and make it public for other clinicians. I think that's the first step because, you know, if you've listened to my episode uh, with Joseph and he mm-hmm. talks about so much more. And I'm sure we'll get into some of these things of what it really means to make structural changes, because it's not the one on one encounter, but the whole system that's against certain populations. And what does it make to change that? And how do we all become better advocates and effective advocates to know what that vision is and fight for that? Right. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to hear your story, uh, Dr. Sundar. <laughs> Sundar. Um, so my name is Joseph. Uh, we met through uh, my my last post as the founding executive director of the Pacific Islander Community Association. And um, it was like through the last four years of like devastating sort of witnessing the devastating impacts of COVID um, that, you know, we were in some ways, uh, became we became very radicalized as a community. Um, but, you know, prior to that, I think we've always been radicalized as a community. I think in my early upbringing, um, you know, I was raised in, in the Samoan community, Samoan Islands. I was born in California, um, but my parents were born in American Samoa. And if folks don't know, it's, you know, American Samoa has been part of the U.S. since 1830. So there was, we have deep ties with colonialism and a deep understanding of uh, sort of the colonial uh, projects that was happening uh, within the Pacific um, with the U.S. imperialism, British imperialism, uh, German, you know, all the European, the European uh, empires that were uh, fighting to control and, you know, and and steal land, right? Steal land from the Pacific, Mm -hmm. fighting for control of waterway because of their wars. They wanted the Pacific Ocean. And so I think um, I grew up like, just hearing from the elders, uh, some of the, just the, the the time of revolution within the Pacific and how like, you know, Pacific peoples were seen as not human. We were not able mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, actualize our, our civic uh, our voices in, in our own homes, right? Um, you know, my father had to go through boarding school where he wasn't allowed to uh, speak his own language. And that was a very similar context that we experienced with our native Hawaiian people, our Kanaka Maoli, you know, our Chamorro folks, you know, in, in the North Pacific, our Micronesian folks uh, that were all part of U.S. territories. And so there was this essentially two, 200 years of uh, colonialism. And we're talking about anti-Indigenous uh, policies and sentiments, you know, displaced people, right? Uh, land theft, right? Uh, cultural assimilation. These were all uh, very targeted practices to kill Indigenous people. Um, our, our religious faith, right? We were, we were told that we were savages, that we worshiped demons. You know, mm-hmm. when we sang, our voices were too harsh for the European 
uh, ears. So uh, they had to civilize even our voices, right? And which is why you now hear Pacific Islanders when we sing, uh, we sound, you know, like Western angels, <laughs> which was, you know, like all of this was a process of colonialism. And so that was my upbringing. Um, and because we were, you know, an indigenous community that was for the most part, um, uh, you know, the, the U.S. policy was erase, colonize, take over, assimilate. You know, it was all part of that anti-indigenous, uh, you know, set of policies that has been in place for 200 years. So we're talking about a forgotten community. Um, and when we do come here to the mainland, to the, we call it mainland, right? But we, we, we know that's also a problematic word when we come to the continents. Um, but when we, when we get here, there's no provisions um, for our communities. There's almost an erasure of 200 years of colonialism. And we come here without any sort of structures of health, right? And so you're talking about a whole community of people uh, that have uh, emigrated in the last 200 years. And we get up in a diaspora and then we're lumped in with Asian. So then you have all that, you know, it's, it's just an erasure, right? Uh, an erasure over erasure. Um, and so for me, it's been, you know, the introduction into health isn't just like the narrow idea of health. Yeah, people were dying from diseases, diabetes. I had two aunties that died early deaths from diabetes, but it was homelessness that was attacking us first. It was uh, food insecurity that was attacking us first. It was all of us and my siblings and, and all the, the young people in my neighborhood was put, put into uh, the juvenile systems, right? Those were the first systems of unhealth. Uh, that we were uh, coming up against. So it, my, my work actually didn't start with public health. It actually started with uh, the carceral system. I was, actually started with uh, the police killing of Pacific Islanders. When they actually disaggregated the numbers of police killing of Pacific Islanders, they saw that it was actually the highest recorded, uh, you know, uh, percentage of like how many people in, in a community compared to the population were murdered by police. So those were all things that I, I've had to sort of consider and um, and expand you know my 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 um, work around health um, and and that's where we've entered and so of course we came up to then the public health system through covid um, and, and it's, it's the same the same systemic you know uh, ills that have you know that is uh, within the carceral system educational system food uh, you know uh, security system it's also in the public health system and our healthcare providers are not that much you know farther along. And so I think um, for my grounding, um, it, it has always been, you know, um, how do I bring forth the, the, the numerous stories that I've, you know, grown up with and the stories that I continue to hear about my community? And what is it that I do to prepare myself to then engage uh, folks that, you know, have locked us out of decision making, uh, that do have uh, political power to, you know, to change laws? How do I then communicate to them? in ways that allows them to then open up some of those doors, open up some of those resources so that our communities are able to access them. So that's a little bit about me. I'm one of 13 children. Uh, my mother has uh, 13 children. Um, and so I'm, I'm the third oldest, um, but I do come from a, a pretty large family. Oh, so nice. Thank you guys for both sharing. I'll add that I got a crash course on the Pacific Islands from Joseph when I my <laughs> podcast with him right and that that's a problem because i had such limited knowledge of it i mean i knew some but didn't know as much as i should taking care of actually a lot of pacific islander folks because there was a bunch in washington and they come to me for care so i wanted to highlight what joseph talked about there like power because when we talk about culture we talk about competency which is like these patterns of worldviews values beliefs 
the things that maybe there's some commonality as a group of people, but we never talk about the power piece of it. Mm-hmm. And we think about how do we make healthcare safe for different people? It's both patterns and power. And power is about historical context of imperialism, colonialism, and what has happened in the past. And what's the current power dynamic what's leading to continued worse health outcomes, worse health outcomes for certain groups of people. And we really need to understand that piece because sometimes we ask these questions, right? And I know you're going to talk about this, about COVID disparities. And people's first thought is, hey, like Pacific Islander people, maybe they have higher rates of diabetes, maybe something about their cultures and their values and beliefs that's leading to these decisions that puts them at higher risk. When I stop there, when Joseph just talked about the homelessness and all these other facets because of the historical harm that we've done as a country or as people and connecting those dots lead to such different solutions and interventions rather than saying, oh, well, Pacific Islander people have are overweight, right? We'll talk about how problematic that is and have higher rates of diabetes. And that's why there was a COVID disparity. And I found that over and over in the healthcare context, at least, of people trying to narrow down the cause of something so profound and deep into simple in the healthcare context. Yeah, I'm really glad you alluded to that, actually, Dr. Sundar, and also Joseph, too. Thank you guys for kind of, you know, shedding light on your backgrounds and kind of like how that's led to you guys having this mission of health equity. And, you know, you mentioned actually, Joseph, about like the erasure of your community and kind of how like, you know, people expected Pacific Islanders um, to not want to advocate for themselves and have a voice and how you're actually trying to hold a baton towards doing that. And now we've talked, we're kind of mentioning COVID and we know that as COVID kind of ravaged the United States and the world in just those first few months, we kind of began to have more of a mainstream conversation on some things you guys have already touched on, which is health equity and inequity, as we also saw a disproportionate number of people of color, lower income individuals, and just elderly individuals were just dying from the disease. And you've kind of also already touched on some of those structural inequities that have exacerbated exacerbated then those COVID um, inequities in both your communities, um, how would you kind of further expand on those historic natures of those inequities that you kind of almost began talking about, Dr. Sundar? I want you guys to both kind of expand upon upon that as well. Where do you want to start, Joseph? <laughs> Should we talk about COPA? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> so much to talk about here. Yeah, that, that is, it is so much to talk about. I mean, I, I'll have to say that, you know, like, you know, I was really impressed with um, a lot of the organizing work um, that our uh, Native, uh, our American Indian, a Native Alaskan community has done, right? Uh, to really take charge of their healthcare systems and to really build healthcare systems um, that are infused with their own values, their cultural beliefs, right? And also, you know, not just, I mean, sorry, Dr. Sundar, not just pay, you know, uh, you know, these doctors that are trained in the Western, you know, in Western uh, medicine, but also to acknowledge uh, the the health work that our indigenous elders have been doing, you know, uh, those uh, that are traditionally seen as healers within our communities, right? Um, you know, those are all things that are not honored by a system, right? By a healthcare system that is based in, on Western practice and this, um, you know, very elitist sort of way of, of practicing medicine. When we know as indigenous people that healing takes, uh, you know, takes a place in the context of an ecology, right? And when you have an ecology uh, that you live within, you know, everybody in that system matters, right? And so, you know, how, how, how does it, what, what is, um, when we put our money 
how do we support uh, the, the work that is already done with communities? Because as, as these uh, healthcare systems and public health systems are failing our people, guess who's doing the health work in our communities? We are. We are. And we're doing it for free, right, because of, of the, the neglect that we've been facing as a community. And so how do we bring those elements in, right, um, those natural sort of care elements that already exist within a community? Uh, like, for example, you know, in the Samoan community, elders are seen as, um, you know, basically queens and kings, right? Uh, so we honor them, like, with, uh, we give them the utmost time, respect, the resources, you know, the, the best things that we have. Uh, and we actually, within our families, uh, we train a, a person to actually be the steward of that elder. So every elder is paired with um, a, a position within our family. And that person, actually, in our culture, that person is the one that, that is then assigned to that elder till they're dead, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in our culture, that's just a natural element of our culture, but they're not getting paid, right? They're still mm-hmm. having to either go to school, you know, or do all the other things while being assigned this cultural sort of uh, position to take care of, of this elder, right? And our system, you know, does not have a way to actually honor that labor, right? That free labor that happens within indigenous communities and many communities. I know lots of Southeast Asian communities have similar practices. Our South Asian communities, you know, have African uh, communities have similar practices where we have uh, these uh, health practitioners uh, that are already within our villages. And so you think of, um, you know, the system that doesn't actually accommodate for those practices, right? Um, and then I look at my Native American uh, communities that have fought so long uh, to actually have particular federal funds uh, so that they can, you know, have their own uh, sort of uh, community um, health centers, right? Uh, where, mm-hmm. like, it's, you know, I, I go to the one in eastern Washington in Spokane. Uh, it's one of the, the, like, the best community health centers I've been in. You know, you walk in there and there's a sense of hospitality, sense of culture, and just, like, there's a difference between me walking into a health center here and, you know, and I'm assimilated. So I, I can't imagine, you know, my like my dad my dad will refuses to go into a hospital because he doesn't feel like it's he feels like it's 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 a racist system they don't see him when he talks they don't hear him you know mm-hmm. um there's an assumption about his his um and this is the this is a huge thing with with pacific islanders and, and i've heard pacific islanders say over and over and over is that they think we're dumb they literally think we're stupid so nothing that comes out of our mouth is seen as intelligible because of these strong beliefs that you know indigenous people that our communities are so othered that their their decisions about their lifestyles are 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 not logical right and we can, mm-hmm. and, and and there's this assumption that we're continuing to kill ourselves right um, and, and it's a whole system. It's not just individuals within that system that believe that. And so, you know, if you don't have something that's set up where, you know, like bias is eliminated, um, you know, you're you're shut out of luck. Right. So all we can do is is basically teach, uh, you know, these healthcare systems how to do harm reduction work. So, you know, and it's not actually healing work. We're teaching them how to not continue to further the, the harm of our people. Right. Um, and but um, the positive side of it is I, I have seen. Uh, tremendous work that has been done within Native communities uh, to really, uh, you know, take the take uh, their own health, you know, into their own hands and deliver it well to their communities. And we we see that with the rates, the COVID rates were the highest amongst our American, uh, Indian, Native, Alaskan folks, right? Because they knew how to reach their people. We got the message from them, 
and we actually had the lowest rates to start with, and then we got the message, and we were uh, we were radicalized into, into getting uh, the COVID vaccine to everybody, and we actually ended up having the highest rates of COVID vaccinations. Uh, because and and there was this assumption that our people were anti anti vaccine. I'm like, you know, uh, just give us the resources. All you have to do is <laughs> stick needle. You know, let us have the, the the resources to actually create the 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 space for people to feel welcome, and we'll do the work. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what happened during COVID. Only anti vaccine if the white man in a whitewash system is telling you to do it, <laughs> and then talking to you like <laughs> right. you don't understand what we're trying to tell you. You know. No, but I, I don't, you, your audience are going to be medical students. And sometimes I listening to this man, plant. I can't believe I chose healthcare, right? Because the, the solution is, as Joseph was saying, like, give resources to the community, give power to the community and the autonomy for self-determination to figure out what it looks like to create a healing community for themselves. And we have not done that period in this country. And that's something to advocate for and some people with power to to like hold to that vision and make it happen because we're going to be leaders in healthcare. And sometimes I think we limit ourselves to the vision because we get stuck in this healthcare system and what Mm. optimizing looks like, what quality care looks like is just Mm. making sure we hit the rates of like getting pap smears and, you know, uh, colon cancer screening, but it's so much more than that. And the second part is relationships because I, sometimes it's there's people are going to show up to you and want to be cared for. And Joseph mentioned this too, and they don't trust you and trust. Mm-hmm. You can, we can talk about so much behind trust because there's all this historical harm and obviously they don't trust because of that. But mm-hmm. also we continue to do things that are actively making it so you, we can't be trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's this implicit bias thing that we all need to get in check. And that's like work every day and mm-hmm. being mindful of what you're carrying around with you. But sometimes we're just like ignorant. Like we don't know the history of the Pacific Islander people or native Hawaiians. And I use this example a lot because it really resonates with folks that you, when at least where I'm from, right, in Washington state, and native Hawaiians have you know traveled to different parts of the country, but there are a significant amount of Native Hawaiians in uh, in this area. Mm-hmm. And people walk into the clinic room and say, hi. And then they're try- desperate to connect with this person who they've never met. And they talk about their vacation in Hawaii because somehow, you know, then we can relate about like this land that you're part of, but completely miss that for some folks, they were kicked out of their land because of tourism and it's mm-hmm. too expensive to live there. And they're now back in our state and they can't even go visit their family because it's so expensive and here you are like talking about like yeah hey vacation was so fun isn't that place really cool right and that that's like such ignorance in it because we didn't do the work to really understand the context of this community of why they're here what what their history was so we are actively like making them distrust us because now like how are they going to be vulnerable and trust all your recommendations right Uh, and then we're just sometimes actively harming people too, even outside of encounters like that. Because when so I have people that are A1Cs like 11.5, right? You know, uncontrolled diabetes. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, we, we try to outreach them. We say, hey, like, we need to get your own diabetes under control. Maybe you should take insulin. And they say no. And then this is a medical thing to do. Say they're non-compliant. 
oh, we have a different word for that, right? Non-adherent. But like, mm-hmm. is that really that different? Like, hey, like we yeah. give recommendations, they're not really listening. That's all That's all we, again, we kind of stop at that. When there's so many ways to heal a body and the cause of why their A1C is 11.5 is really complex. And we do such horrible job of incorporating indigenous way of healing that we don't even acknowledge it. Um, and we can take diabetes off the table, even with like back pain, right? Just thinking about, touch as healing and what does that mean for you and like how can we incorporate that into our recommendation plan again that's so limiting joseph's going to be like rolling his eyes yeah like that's going to get our community better but (laughs) anywhere even in the moments where we could connect they're like made an appointment they're showing up to you because hey like i'll give this a shot and then we like fail in every single aspect of that encounter so then they're like of course not going to come back to you when covid's raging and you say hey like come get this vaccine although like we've never had a good encounter before like you can trust me yeah no i'm you know i'm grateful that you actually already kind of spoke about the perspective from a family physician standpoint and kind of how your patients and how you were able to see head on these inequities like mentioning the fact that we see Hawaii as a vacation spot, but for some people, like this is literally their livelihood. This is where they live. And like, we don't really understand how even us visiting there and like being a tourist there can even affect their way of life. Um, And even you too, Joseph, kind of alluding to your work as a leader um, of the Pacific Islander Community Association of Washington and how you've also had to kind of go head on with those issues as well. I think, you know, leading to my next point, at the same time that we were grappling with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, we also continued to live in the pandemic of state violence and police killings of unarmed Black and Brown Americans. We had the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, which, you know, produced so much outrage and condemnation that it led to the largest social protests in our nation's history um and, you know discussions of state violence in the u.s are often centered around black americans and rightfully so but this is not just a problem that's unique to our communities and based on what you guys have told me there's so many things you don't even know about pacific islanders and like what they face on a day-to-day basis and so i think it's really helpful that we also get that perspective and so how has state violence impacted pacific islander communities in washington and just elsewhere on the west coast yeah you know um that's, a, that's been a, a very interesting uh, question because, you know, the, uh, during COVID, there was also a very, um, there was um, some strong um, sort of incidents that were happening across the nation that uh, were uh, Asian elders were being victimized, right? Stop Asian hates, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so obviously there was a lot of like, you know, stars were coming up, at, you know, to support it. There was a lot of visibility, right? Um, and mm-hmm. it got all the way to Congress. And then there was uh, resources, resource provisions that were uh, then, um, you know, uh, targeting AAPI communities, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it was it was a very interesting um, time for Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders because we have completely different experience, lived experiences with our East Asian brothers and sisters and our Asian brothers and sisters. And mm-hmm. but there was a lot of money that was being funneled to really uh, try to understand the manifestations of state violence or violence within our communities, right? Um, and I was a part of a study through uh, Washington State University, and I, I made sure that whatever work that we were doing, uh, we were going to study the manifestation of violence differently for Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander communities, you know, apart from, uh, you know, our Asian brothers and sisters and, and the ways that they experience violence. Uh, and and largely for our communities, I mean, we haven't produced um uh, the research yet, but there were, I mean, we have a lot of folks that have, uh, you know, been victims of, of gun violence, 
uh, been victims of police-involved uh, killings, right? And so there were just very different um, ways that people experienced uh, stress. You know, during COVID, uh, there were like uh, three killings of Pacific Islander young men in uh, Spokane by the Spokane Police Department. And uh, there were like uh, two killings um, over there in Clark County by, uh, you know, Clark, uh, you know, County Police. You know, we actually started our organization, the Pacific Islander Community Association, after the killing of uh, one of my friends, uh, Yosia Faletongo by Seattle Police Department in 2018. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the founding of, of our organization. Um, and, and our communities, uh, you know, Pacific Islanders, Micronesians, Melanesians, the Polynesians um, have historically experienced uh, police involved uh, killing state violence, um, whether it's within the territories, or whether it was, you know, the bombing of their islands, you know, the testing of nuclear bombs. And then the U.S. government then decided to send scientists to study the study, the fallout of nuclear, you know, uh, you know, whatever uh, poison. On human populations, let's not forget that that is the biggest, uh, you know, human subject study that the U.S. has ever conducted on a people, was conducted on Pacific Islanders, right? And so yeah. there's, you know, there's this um, very no no trust, you know, coming from, from back home and then ending up here and having a very, very, um, uh, what do you call it, very intense uh, uh, relationship with uh, local policing, right? Uh, that has never been resolved. One of the biggest cases in the U.S. was with the Samoan family, the Dole family in California against the LAPD, where the LAPD decided to, uh, you know, uh, rally their whole troops against this one family that was uh, celebrating a baby shower and assaulted everybody in the family, an extended family. And they had won uh, $24 million, uh, the biggest uh, lawsuit settlement against any police department. This was specifically with Los Angeles Police Department. And so, you know, with it, like there's PTSD in our community with uh, police violence. Um, but it's funny because, you know, Pacific Islanders, uh, because we've been erased for so long, oftentimes they don't actually speak out, speak up, organize, you know, and I keep telling, you know, our, our, our communities you know, we owe so much to our, you know, black communities for, for consistently putting their voices, their bodies out there. We need to also, you know, uh, figure out a way uh, to engage these systems and, and basically um, uh, organize with police accountability work, right? Uh, not just with the state of Washington, but with, you know, the, the departments, uh, the county departments. We need to be at all of these fronts because, you know, it's not just black lives that are being killed. It's Native American lives, it's Pacific Islander lives that are being killed. And we need to do this coalition work, uh, you know, and, and make sure that, you know, that black bodies are not being put, you know, at the fore uh, to cover for us as well, right? Um, that we also owe it to ourselves uh, to be able to uh, speak truth to power uh, in these systems. Thank you so much for that. And I think you know that's a great segue into my next point, which is um, talking about the podcast episode that even you brought you guys here on the podcast episode, Pacific Islanders, what does erasure of a community mean? And you guys dove into a lot of, you know, interesting topics, including the current discourse on cultural competency. Um, can you guys kind of expand upon that more specifically, just the specific um, separate and interlinked definitions of cultural safety and power? Yeah, I brought that up a little bit ago, and I, I think we can keep building on this conversation on what is our goal as you become doctors, right? Mm -hmm. And what are you setting out to do? And we somehow, for no reason, hold a lot of power, like just because you have a doctor, D-O-M-D could be whatever it is. 
and you need to be used use that power in a way that's helpful for folks because i think sometimes we use it in ways that's not helpful or as i said before actively harmful because we think this is how things should be designed when joseph just told you exactly what's wrong and what needs to happen right and we need to be able to amplify those voices rather than think we have the solutions so the cultural safety and competency i told you about the limitations of the competency model and really moving towards safety means that you're focusing on how do you create environments for psychological physical and emotional safety and if you start with that question you're going to understand that you need to learn a lot more about the communities that you're serving to create that context because we talked about the structural changes but focusing on the healing relationship because you'll still end up in places where you're caring for the community one-on-one -on -one or in community contexts where you're gonna have the power to speak up and advocate and amplify their voices. And understanding the history of what happened helps you move towards that goal of cultural safety. So you're not othering the entire community, right? Um, and it helps to have granularity at that level too, as you know, Joseph just talked about AAPI community in quotation marks, because somehow like an entire continent along with different islands got lumped into one category <laughs> and we kind of do that but you should know the difference between pacific islander and other asian americans chinese indians but you should also know there's actually a bunch of different pacific islands and you should know about the harm bikini atoll has harmed has caused uh and in the marshall islands and why they have higher rates of thyroid cancer and other types of cancer not just so you can increase the rate of screening for them but what does it mean to actively undo that harm for that community and support them? Yeah, I think that's actually very important, you know, and I, I also think you alluded to something that's so important, which is just like knowing the specifics of every person, every community, and not just like the broad strokes, which, you know, we know that white America just loves to kind of other people in a way that simplifies it for themselves and doesn't really call attention and, and, and honors other people and their own culture and, and uh, background, so um, yeah. I because think... I can I add one more thing. Of course, yeah. Because I think about why do people feel unseen, unheard, and unknown when they show up to our whitewashed healthcare system? Mm -hmm. And I, I still want to say the the best solution is giving people autonomy to create their own ways of healing and the power and resources. But they feel unseen and unheard because we don't know them, right? We don't know their community background, their context, or themselves. So if somebody comes in with depression our automatic thought is hey like you want to try this ssri this medication mm -hmm. that'll make it all better for you or yeah. like let me link you to a therapist that's probably white and and you probably won't get into them for a while like we mm -hmm. that's we, like we look forward into standard interventions mm -hmm. then being really compassionate and if you understood the police killings and the violence the community is going through and connecting at that level not saying you can't solve it right not saying they want you to ask about those questions, but you know that's happening and there's more yeah. space to, for that conversation to happen. And maybe the solution is something completely different rather than just prescribing a pill and calling it a day and then saying, wait, they didn't adhere to our recommendation. They didn't want to take the pill, right? Right. Yeah, no, I think that's so true. And I think, you know, going off of that, there's just so many different things we need to address when it comes to moving forward. Um, not only in society, but also just within healthcare. And so, you know, 
what do you guys personally see as kind of our greatest challenges with that? And if you could shape future conversations and direct future initiatives to address these issues, what would they be? Yeah, you know, uh, King County Public Health, along with other departments, declared that, um, you know, racism is, you know, the, one of the biggest factors in, that, that's contributing to, you know, health disparities within King County. And so, you know, the 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 executive had set aside, you know, $25 million, you know, for this uh, little project to try to incentivize uh, community-led participation to coming up with solutions, right? Uh, which I'm like, oh, really, $25 million? Let's look at that whole budget, uh, the, the billions of dollars, right? And figure out why um, particular communities, you know, do not have any cultural health centers, right, to address uh, the vast disparities that are, uh, you know, that are happening in the Black communities, uh, you know, in, a, in Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander communities, um, like whole communities that have been underinvested in for the last decades, right? And here's $25 million uh, uh, that you're teasing us about. Um, but yeah, that, you know, they, they, one of the biggest things that has been coming up is, is really like, you know, uh, what happened with COVID. There was nowhere for Pacific Islanders to go to, right? When, when there was this disaster, this, this, uh, uh, emergency, you know, um, situation that was happening, right? There was no nowhere that felt safe. Uh, even when they were opening up the first vaccination um, sort of lines, right? They were opening it up at, you know, Seattle University, uh, up north and downtown. And, you know, if it wasn't for me, because I like kind of was looped into uh, some of the access there, like I wasn't, uh, there wouldn't have not been any Pacific Islanders, the most, the, the most impacted community, there would have been zero Pacific Islanders being vaccinated at those, those first lines. And we get there and it's what, what does it look like? It's all white people, right? That were coming and lining up, getting those first vaccine shots, you know, and, and my people felt so out of place, you know, even though we were the most harmed communities, but because, you know, public health, Swedish hospital and these healthcare systems did not consider the value of Pacific Islander lives. They intentionally open up these, you know, vaccination, you know, spaces and places in places where none of us had access to it, right? Because um, mm. if it was the other way around, if it was white people that were dying, right, we would, we would, it would, it would look different, right? The response would look different. Um, so I say this to say that, you know, I mean, I. I love your explanation, Dr. Uh, um, Sundar, around uh, safety, right? Whether we have to create safety. Also, um, expanding on safety, it's, it's a sense of sovereignty. It's a sense of autonomy. It's a sense of, um, you know, where where do you feel belonging, you know, and how are you drawn to that sense of belonging? Um, there's also, you know, I, I joke with um, Dr. Sundar about this. You know, if you're going to make an appointment with me, a medical appointment with me, good luck. <laughs> you know, will, good luck with me. Good luck with any other guy on there. That will never work. You know, how do you um, take the culture of a people, the mind of a people, uh, uh, the spirituality of a people, and create something that actually works, right? And so a lot of our efforts have been walk-in efforts, right? Creating spaces of culture and hospitality uh, that actually you walk in there and we're playing music that people are familiar with, right? Uh, you know, we're also providing, you know, uh, refreshments that people would uh, would like, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and how do you then um, sort of get it into um, the the minds of people? Because we know that the number one obstacle for uh, impoverished and poor communities uh, to address something um, that they're going through as far as health or whatever it is, is the, the distance between them and, and the resource, right? So mm -hmm. if there's a long distance, if, 
if the referral process is a process where you have to like go to point A to get to point B to get to point C, you you're lost. You're lost before, right. before you get to point A. But if you actually create cultural hubs, right, that um, that has everything resourced within it, and we know that this is working for communities that are as uh, experiencing houselessness, for our folks that are experiencing uh, you know substance use disorder on the streets, right? We have to create these centers that are actually um, uh, furbish <laughs> with doctors and social workers and cultural practitioners, you know, something that's um, that's like the Seattle Health Indian Board. They, they, they have a great model. They're creating um, this beautiful model in downtown uh, because we know that Native Americans uh, have the highest rates of, you know, uh, of houselessness. And so they've created this hub where Native American folks can just enter, right, and be able mm-hmm. to access, you know, uh, whatever care uh, that they need to access. There's some problematic stuff that's happening there too, because a lot of white people are pretending to be Indians to get the same <laughs> services as our oh native brothers and sisters at the Seattle no. Health Indian Board. But you know, we'll we'll talk about maybe some strategies to oh, no. to then like figure out how to actually get to the target. How do you pull that off, though? How do you how do you? <laughs> well, we pulled it off. We pulled it off at the Pacific Island Community Center because we it's a little bit off the off the grid um but we also mm-hmm. like it's real people like we we are culturally a pacific cultural center right and so the people that will naturally be drawn to there can hear mm-hmm. their, their their language languages being spoken can see their elders and so it's already a targeting place right you don't have to mm-hmm. necessarily do any policy work to uh, to make sure that you're uh reaching the, the community that you're trying to reach yeah joseph i loved all your examples you know i think about Indian Standard Time, say IST, color people time, you know, like everything <laughs> in healthcare is around white people time, right? Like, you got to be on time right. 15 minutes early, and we're going to end in right. 15 minutes, right? And you're like, well, I'm going to go in when I don't feel well and go to the place that I know will take care of me. Right. And uh, yeah, like, this is a place where you could say, wow, like, those people are kind of different from us, hold different values and beliefs. So how can we like overcome that and get them to fit into our system rather than be self-reflective and say, okay, these are the beliefs and values we hold. This is also happening in the community. How can we create a system that actually meets their needs, right? right. And then the answer, we don't have to come up with it. Joseph just told us the whole answer, right? Like of what it should look like and what we need to create. So then our job, healthcare, physicians, doctors, whoever, right? is just to make the change happen. And sometimes we get stuck there because we also are burnt out and have a sense of powerlessness. This whole thing seems way bigger than us, like trillion dollars of people trying to make money wherever they can, right? So starting small, and I really try to use the community organizing framework because that's what keeps me hopeful that change can happen and keep moving forward, which is how do we use the resources we have to turn it into the power we need to make the change we want, right? Finding what we have already, strategizing how to turn that into power, mm. and then making that change, right? When it can be so specific, right? I'm going to organize around creating walk-in clinics for this community because I know what they need. And you keep telling the outcomes are bad for this community, then I have a solution. Let's strategize on who we need to get in the room, what resources we have, and get creative, even if you don't, ha- you're not the CEO or CFO of a healthcare system, trying to mobilize and make change happen that way. And a lot of movements have started that way and have been effective. Yeah, I think 
I mean, I think it's a great way to kind of summarize uh, what are these the greatest things we should be focusing on when it comes to pushing forward um, health equity. Um, you alluding, uh, Joseph, to just access and creating that safe environment for people who come in. Um, and then you, Dr. Sundar, kind of talking about just taking what we have and just utilizing it, even if it's not everything, right? We have something. Um, so I think that's really um, a beautiful way to kind of summarize it. Um, and just, of course, to round out, uh, as we come to a close, you know, there are many training and future physicians and just other healthcare workers that seek to be great stewards of the health and well-being of their patients, families, and communities. Um, so what advice would you guys both leave them with when it comes to just either core principles or communication? I mean, what, what would you guys kind of state as a, a good way moving forward for people to, to use that? course you're pausing because you want me to go first doctor (laughs) (laughs) um yeah you know um so it has there's a sustainability factor right um that has to come into place like you know you have a, a a community that has been underinvested in for decades you know centuries um, there's no resources there, right? Um, so even with the, the, the COVID pandemic, these were very short-term, um, you know, fixes that were coming down from the federal government, right? Uh, so we know that anything sustainable, um, we really saw COVID as a window of opportunity, as sad as it was, because our community was dying, um, you know, uh, in, in the highest rates. But we still also saw it as uh, a window of opportunity to try to get in there and be seen and be a community and to create pathways where, you know, we were able to uh, to have, uh, you know, places to to uh, co-create policies, uh, health policies that are uh, that are for our people at the at the federal level, at the local level, um, and. You know, I mean, other issues like data sovereignty, right? That was a huge issue uh, for our community as well. Like, how do we make sure that our data matters? You know, that, you know, as, as these state governments and these um, other governments are telling us that we don't matter because our percentage is small. We say, no, we, we do not like your racist data collecting tools, <laughs> data analysis tools. You need to create better tools to actually look at the health of, of smaller communities, not just Pacific Islanders, but we have indigenous people from a lot of the Latin American regions. You know, we have a lot of our, our African communities communities, you know, from East, from all over Africa that are here that, you know, still like our data matter, you know, and these smaller communities, like we have to really honor, um, you know, not this like generic way of, of, of doing uh, work as, as we've done, um, but really look at the, the, the gran- granularity, like uh, Dr. Sundar was saying. Um, you know, federally qualified health community centers have been, um, you know, the, the life uh, saving, uh, you know, sort of, um, alternatives for native communities here. Uh, We have those in place for our uh, Pacific Islander communities that were territories of the U.S. That's funny. If you go to a territory or previous territory of the U.S. in the islands, you can get health care that is funded by the U.S. But if you're a Pacific Islander living here in the States, uh, good luck, you know? (laughs) And so, so, like, we just really have to find ways uh, to resource healthcare systems. And, yes, you know, it's it's great to to advise clinicians about how to be better, you know, human beings, how to be better practitioners uh, of health. Uh, But we know that at the end of the day, it's a very corporate problem. It's a very corporate, you know, it's a corporate sin. It's built within the DNA of these institutions uh, to continue to perpetuate these, um, these vast uh, disparities, right? And so we cannot 
yes, yes, we can, you know, do all types of reforming within those systems, but we have to look at uh, how to create powerful cultural hubs, health hubs, and then for, for doctors to consider maybe taking a pay cut so that they can work <laughs> and, and support these ministers. We only have one Pacific Islander doctor in the state of Washington, and what? I know him personally. He's my cousin. He's over there in the Skagit oh. Valley, and he runs a hospital. But I'm like, how do we pay that guy to create to come in and, and support and build, you know, a, a health a Pacific Islander health hub, right? Um, and how do we make sure that he can like feed his kids and his wife and sustain his yeah. home, but still be able to uh, use his talents to then invest into you know, building a, a culturally uh, 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 sustainable and, and a place where people feel belonging within the Pacific communities that is, you know, that honors all of the things that, that make us uh, very unique. And he's even like told me, Joseph, I really want to do this. But I'm like, well, mm, let me go find the money. <laughs> so then we can do something like that. Um, but my advice is uh, continue to look at the the ways that your, you, your institution um, has policies uh, that that you know uh, create uh, you know and continue to uh, foster those disparities and then also there's a lot of Pacific Islanders that might be working at your health centers that you might not know you know mm-hmm. look at the service workers that are there look at the folks uh, that are caregivers right build relationship with with Pacific Islanders uh, that are within your communities already because a lot of you know a lot of uh, we have a lot of Pacific Islanders that are uh, taking care of elders that are working you know the the you know my, I have a, my sister-in-law and my cousins all work, not the nursing, uh, uh, the, CN, the uh, CRNA. Yeah, CNA uh, roles within CNA, uh, these yeah. hospitals. So how do you, uh, you know, lean on them, you know, and build relationship with them so that they can, you know, um, give you some input on how to change your practice. Mm-hmm. And I'll stop there. I second that. <laughs> That's why I made you go first, Joseph. No. So I... I think this is all true, right? Like the vision is right there and he told you exactly what the community needs. And I want to say a few things. One is that if you're listening and you know you are in your learning journey, that this problem is so much bigger than you with corporates, healthcare structure and all of that. But it doesn't mean it's an abdication of your responsibility to change it or find ways to advocate to change it. And that could be your mission, not just in and out and maximizing your retirement, right? Like a lot of doctors do that. And they try to kind of like think about their own family, but we need to be better than that. And then the second part is reflecting on what does it really take to build a healing relationship that's based on trust? And you, like what all do you need to know about the person and the community, so you don't place the burden on the patient to educate you on all the things that's happening and what's important to them, right? And there's so much there, but just after talking to Joseph in my podcast, right, on the Healthcare for Humans podcast that you, you mentioned, is, uh, Isabella, mm-hmm. there's a few things that have come up. And I, I is one is I know, like, there's a lot of Indians in Fiji now. Like tons. <laughs> so, like, when I'm talking to Pacific Islander, they always do a second take, but now I knew. I'm like, hey, like, you know, I know there's a lot of Indians in Fiji <laughs> and they're like, yeah, like, are you from Fiji? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not. But I know like you were thinking that because, you know, we were talking and you're like wandering that. Right? right. Like these there's these micro moments, moments of connection. And then I also understood like so many things that feel really important. 
And I think, Joseph, you talked about this. I forget, I can't say this correctly, actual phrase, but it's about the spiny starfish has both the poison and the remedy, right? The idea that you have the solution to your own uh, illness or what's happening in your body. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes try to utilize that, not in like a colonialist side to get my like numbers better and control with diabetes. I'm just saying like, mm-hmm. hey, like this is what I have after, but I like, fully trust you. Like, you know, I've heard this phrase, you may or may not know about this in the Pacific Islander community. Like, does that mean something to you? So, mm-hmm. so like, what does it mean? Like, what should we work on together? Right. And that's, that's a different approach to our relationship when people come to me um, rather than this algorithmic way that we typically approach patients. Right. Thank you guys so much for that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. No, that was that's really good. You know, um, sort of like looking at the the, the cultural tools of communication, right? Uh, which mm-hmm. was actually a huge project that we did for COVID about what does it mean to um, you know Samoan tradition. We say fasavali. What does it mean mm-hmm. to 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 put legs on a message, right? Um, mm-hmm. And in the cultural context of Pacific Islander communities, you cannot talk to an elder any type of way, right? Um, there's a very specific way of approaching, you know, not just an elders or not. Not just your elders but your neighbor right uh, somebody has to put the legs on the message right um and it's like you know uh for example like you go and you you sit you know you you have a disposition of humility right um and there's protocol about how that message then gets delivered you know to the person that's receiving the message you know that's not protocol within you know western society right um right. and so it's like there are all these nuances um and then another nuance too was um that we knew that people listen to our elders so so one route of like doing a, a cultural communication work um that we had to do with covid was actually to um to give all the information to the elders so then the elders are the ones that are the stewards of the message to their own families right uh, because it, it, it's very important. And this is the thing, like, you know, for us, um, I'd say this for our indigenous communities, uh, the message matters, but the messenger matters more. <laughs> uh, and, you know, for Western medicine, it's like, no, it's just the message, you know, which is a worship of the word, which is a very classical way of doing uh, intervention work that doesn't work for us, right? Because for us, actually, it's, it's the messenger that matters. And so how do we then honor the messenger uh, of health and equip the messengers of health within our different communities to then arrive at a different, you know, outcome, right? Yeah, you can do all the work as a non-Pacific person to, to do healthcare, but you also have to partner with Pacific people to steward the care of Pacific peoples. So, and that and that so should be something that is um, uh, that is a universal practice, right? You cannot steward my care if you're not actually in relationship with another Pacific person that is also helping you in stewarding my care. Um, and, and that might sound tokenizing or, or whatever to, to people that are so used to, you know, this colorblind way of doing medicine, but medicine yeah. cannot be colorblind. Me- medicine has to be culturally <laughs> and linguistically right. appropriate, right? It has to speak to, to every nuance that is. And then the last thing I should say is, you know, th- there was a story that this uh, Samoan doctor told me about, um, you know, this Samoan woman that was a patient to, uh, to a doctor who then like told her all these things because uh, diabetes, um, their level of, of diabetes was so unhealthy that they, you know, basically the doctor was like, you're going to die if you don't do this and that. And mm-hmm. um, the Samoan woman um, told him that actually I'm going to go to Samoa and, um, and, and meet with the traditional healer. And so, and the doctor advised her against it. You're going to die, whatever. So she leaves, comes back six months later. She's healed from diabetes. (laughs) And the doctor's like, oh my gosh, what happened? I met with the Samoan for full. 
uh, what did, and then they were like, what did the Psalm 1 for 4 tell you to do? You know, mm-hmm. you, sh- you shall only eat of, of, of the fruits of this land. You know, you shall, uh, you have to walk to the mountain, you know, uh, once a week, right? So there were all these sayings, right? Uh, you have to sit in silence for, you know, for, uh, you know, this many times, you know, a week. Mm-hmm. All these things that was uh, prescribed by the, the local Fufu or the local Samoan doctor that actually mm-hmm. helped her heal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But she was able to hear them, right? And um, mm-hmm. and that's the thing, like, there's such a little value of uh, of the messenger, uh, uh, you know, and the mess- the nuance that the message has to be communicated through uh, that people are just missing it, you know? And um, Dr. Sundar just, uh, you know, said, you know, how do we incorporate in uh, the traditional understanding of a people to, to help them understand, um, you know, how to take care of themselves? And uh, that, that saying is, which is the crown of, uh, of thorn, starfish, uh, has both its, uh, has both um, poison and also uh, both remedy, but it's a Samoan saying, uh, to say that healing is is within our body, that healing is already within within our mind, within our body, and we if we can only listen, you know, to 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 those to our ancestors, to those around us, uh, to find those uh, healing messages uh, to help us along, we would be able to access our own healing. That's very beautiful. Yeah, I think this is such a wealth of information, and I know our listeners are going to highly appreciate this advice you guys have given them. I I especially love the whole aspect of the messenger being such a vital part to a, a patient's you know journey of healing and i think that's something that's definitely going to um, impact everyone who hears that so it's going to impact me especially now you know that i'm coming to the close of my training so i'm i'm grateful that you guys have shared this with um, our listeners so before you know we let you guys go we want you to share how they can connect with you so if there's any um, email address or social media that you guys want to drop um so that way they can get in touch with you that would be greatly appreciated uh the easiest is probably just the healthcareforhumans.org and there's a contact me uh, page there too. So if you want to get in touch with me, any questions or ideas that you want me to cover, I'm happy to. Yeah, you can get a hold of me through Sundar, Dr. Sundar. I'm like, no, he's the only person I'll talk to at KP. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kaiser Permanente is a great institution. <laughs> Some work is so bad, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. Yeah, and I'll just read it out for our listeners in case they're listening to the audio version. So for Joseph, you can reach him at Joseph Sia, which is uh, Joseph, J-O-S-E-P-H, Sia, S-E-I-A, at Outlook.com. All right, well, thank you guys so much for joining us on SMA Presents The Lounge. We are so grateful that you guys came in and just showed us or told us about all of the beautiful information about the Pacific Islander community, um, the Health for, Healthcare for Humans podcast, and just how you guys are continuing to contribute to health equity. We really appreciate it here on, on the podcast. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for having appreciate us. Appreciate you too, Sabella. <laughs> See ya. All right. Thank you.